Uh, all right. Well, we are we're in the fourth chapter, the final chapter of Jonah. So we, uh, I think, in the next couple sessions, we'll finish it out. Um, one thing that I I found out uh, is there's uh, spring break coming up for the the students for the the school kids. So. Um, they don't have class during that time. So I think that's next Friday. Um, so, uh, so there's no class next Friday and then, or, nor the following Friday, which is Good Friday. So take note of that. And we, uh, we've been having a hard time getting, getting back into the rhythm, but hopefully we'll, after Easter, we'll get back into the rhythm and finish strong uh, as we get into May. So... Um, you know what? That's up to Pastor Bruzek, I think. But <laughs> but it would be nice, actually. I, I, I'd be happy to do that. But I know he likes to take breaks during the summertime. Everything kind of goes... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can run that by him and see what he says, um, and we'll see, I'll see what he says. <laughs> but I know, no, no, I'll just run. I'll run by the uh, the suggestion of how summer looking. But I know he likes everything to take a break in the summer because everybody's, you know, the year is is busy. So, um, all right. So Jonah chapter four, and. Uh, Let's just take a look here. So this, this shifts quite a bit, uh, the last chapter of Jonah. You know, Jonah preaches at Nineveh in chapter 3. So, you know, he starts to kind of come around, right? He realizes he needs to, after the being swallowed up by the big fish incident... He realizes he needs to go and preach, and that's the best thing to do, and that's the right thing to do. Uh, but then we get into chapter 4, and he struggles some more. So you can see just the, the struggling servant uh, in Jonah. So let's take, since it's been a while, let's take a look at chapter 4 again and see what it says. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared, prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. 
But as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and much livestock? And that is the... I didn't know who he was dealing with. He didn't, yeah. Have you ever been that angry that you're just like, I'm ready to die? <laughs> I mean, that's angry, right? I mean, that's... <laughs> You know, I, I remember reading once, um, you know, the old hippie Ken Kesey made, once made the remark of every once in a while you just need to let out an existential scream. <laughs> Have you ever been there where you just, the existential scream, the sigh, the, you know, I'm ready to die, the world is <laughs> crashing to the ground, right? And that's Jonah. I mean, he, he has faith. He is a prophet. He belongs to the Lord. He knows that the Lord's word will accomplish what the Lord means to do with it. So, you know, just this whole thing really is, is tearing Jonah up. And uh, so what do we make of this? Well, it was grievous to Jonah. It was a great evil. Uh, you know, the remainder of the book, so chapter 4, really does just deal with then how Jonah handles his own grief, his grieving. And so, you know, it says he was angry in verse 1, and in the Greek it's literally he was burning up. He's just burning up. Madder than a hornet, as they say. Um, you know, there's scripture passages that speak to this. Um, you can uh, jot these down if you want. Numbers 11.1. 1. In this case, we see this language used for the Lord in Numbers 11.1. 1. Now, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. So it's, the similar, it's a similar thing. But notice, with Numbers 11, the people are complaining, so they're rebelling against the Lord. And so the Lord's anger burns with their rejection and their resistance. Jonah's anger burns at the thought that the people might repent. Okay, so then there's Deuteronomy 6.5. And Deuteronomy 6.5, oh, where is that? Okay, so in Deuteronomy 6.5, here's the way it should be. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So that's the way it should be. Uh, then Isaiah 64, 5, getting to the end of Jeremiah, or the, the end of Isaiah 64, 5. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue and we need to be saved. And then Lamentations 5.22. Uh, I guess it ends, you know, if you look at the context, Lamentations 5 at verse 19. You, O Lord, remain forever. You're thrown from generation to generation. Why do you forget us forever and forsake us for so long a time? Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are very angry with us. So that's the way it ends. But, you know, in Jonah's complaint, as we've discussed, he knows the Lord is holy. He knows the Lord is merciful, and this is part of what is burning him up. Um, Ezekiel 36 23 it's if you start at verse 22 therefore say to the house of Israel thus says the Lord God I do not do this for your sake O house of Israel but for my holy name's sake which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went and I will sanctify my great name which has been profaned among the nations which you have profaned in their midst and the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. So it's the Lord's desire for people to repent and to be saved. He wants this. You know, you see this in the, you know, in the Gospel of John. Jesus came for the life of the world. You know, he came to save all. He wants all to be redeemed. And so the Gospel... Jesus died for the sins of all, every person, every person that had been born or would be born. That is quite a, a burden to bear, but that's the love of Jesus. Um, so, you know, take a look at, so there's two sides to, to God's work, right? There's mercy and justice. And so, you know, what he tells Moses in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, so this is Exodus 34, 6 and 7, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So, you know, you think about that divine visitation um, or the light being exposed. You know, the epistle from Sunday, Ephesians 5, uh, talking about leaving back the darkness and 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 receiving the light, right? The light of Christ. The light of Christ cuts two ways, doesn't it? 
because the light of Christ reveals our sins and our failures. So that part's, that's the hard part, right? When you start to realize, you know, the light of Christ puts everything in order, doesn't it? So in Christ, you have the vertical dimension of the incarnation of Christ coming down and diffusing all his good gifts, all his good and holy gifts. And in that divine diffusion, life is ordered, right? We understand how we fit in terms of Christ, how we fit in the world, uh, how we fit in relationships. Relationships are ordered differently in Christ. And so that's a good thing, but the difficult thing is then that we often see where we fail. So the light of Christ will also expose us if, if our motives are self-centered or selfish, right? In our relationships and, uh, and everything else. And so there's justice and mercy with that. And that's what some people don't like, right? When they don't want religion or they don't want Jesus or they don't want to hear about it, because to hear about Jesus is then to, to come to grips with the fact that one hasn't lived his or her life in the right way, right? And so a lot of people are like, I don't, don't, don't talk to me about it. I just want to keep living the way that I'm living. Um, yeah. I think it's wonderful that I was so, this, so freely forgives He's gracious and merciful. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I find it very hard um, when well, people transgress God, you know, and sin, He is gracious and merciful to forgive. But yeah. I find that's very difficult when I have been mistreated. You know, I was just wondering if Jonah just had a really hard time with the Ninevites. They had been so mean and, and so out. They just to, the, to his people. Yeah. Just, it was, he was dealing with his feelings. You know, he knew maybe he should be just like we know. The Lord says, love your enemies, do good to those that hate his people. Yeah. But actually, to do that, it takes some time. It's hard. Uh, in the, so, what, what Donna was saying is, you know, it's really hard to be merciful and forgiving when you've been wronged. And, you know, so, you know, now, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this, just, you know, at Concordia University, we, we talk a lot about vocation. And so, you know, I've been thinking a lot about what vocation looks like uh, from, a, from a Christian perspective. And our relationships are defined in a certain way in this world. And our vocations, we, as I've said the last, you know, the last few sessions, we don't choose our vocations, God chooses our vocations. So we are planted where the Lord wants us. And that can be good, but it can also be hard. So he plants you in relationships, in situations, and then you are supposed to bring the things of Christ into those relationships, into those vocations. And that's great when the people that you are um, 
caring for or working with our loving, merciful, kind people, right? But it's when the world starts kicking against you, right? So you have the, if you have these relationships where the people are kicking against you, now comes the cross. And this is where Luther says that the theology of the cross really does inform the doctrine of vocation. And so, you know, the hiddenness of God, uh, Luther called it the Deus Absconditus. And the Deus Absconditus, the hiddenness of God is when you're living in a situation and you can't see God at work in it. Like what good is supposed to come out of this? What am I, why am I here? What am I supposed to do? How can I bring good out of this situation? This seems terrible. And so what happens is loving your, right? Loving your enemies, blessing those who curse you, right? Spitefully use you. That's really difficult. And um, we, everyone has a bit of that in his or her life, right? Every person has a bit of that. And so Jonah is a great book for this because Jonah rightfully, he has seen what the Ninevites have done. There's a long history. Those people in that world don't forget history, right? I mean, it's, you know, if you look at even like mission studies, like studies on Christian mission, and you look at past uh, churchly endeavors to the, the Muslims, for example, they don't, they still haven't forgotten what happened at the time of the Crusades, right? Like it's, it's there. And so Jonah is like that, you know, he knows what has been done. And he, he knows those people have not been good people. They have not done well. And you know, and he's the, the, the righteous judgment bit. Jonah's like, Lord, I, right? You can just imagine like hearing his prayers. Lord, I spent my life for you. I left family, country, this, that. I've done for you. I've been about your word. And now you're going to do this? You know, I prayed that you would protect us from those crazy Ninevites. And now you're going to save them? What? <laughs> Exactly. See, that's wisdom speaking there that, hey, maybe save, you know, saving the Ninevites is an answer to prayers. So, and that's something too that we have to always be mindful of, right? We always hear that, be careful what you pray for. Because <laughs> you just might get it. Um, but it's true, right? Like, you just don't know what, what could happen. But, you know, it, the grand scheme of the Lord's plan 
he's always working good things. The good things might be different than what we anticipate. And we have to be mindful of that. And part of our prayer life should be, Lord, help me to understand why you do the things that you do. <laughs> yes. Um, I think it's the same with the persecuted Christians today. You know, that they have the questions. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's true. I mean, you know, you think about the world that we're living in and just how difficult it is um, to confess our faith in the public square. It's getting harder and harder and harder. And um, it's very important that we do that. And, you know, it makes it, uh, you know, it's, it's different than, you know, even 25 years ago uh, to go into church work, you know, like studying to be a church worker, you know, that's, it's, you know, you're going to, you're going to be coming into the, into the fire a bit because to confess the faith will have a cost. And, you know, as you saw, if you attended the ILC uh, retreat here and, um, you know, you listen to what, what some of the bishops had to say and, you know, what, what they're going through, um, to be faithful does, does have, a, have a cost. But it's needful, and you don't know what's going to come of it. That's the thing. Like, we, we often see danger right away, and we want to avert the danger, but it is precisely in those difficult circumstances that God does so much good work. And this is, the, this is another aspect of the theology of the cross. So it's, it is very important. Do you think that this whole notion of having a hard time accepting what we consider to be unfair, mm-hmm. just like what Jonah is going through right here, do you think that that's why God, of course, knew this at that time, and that's why he gave us so many examples, like with the prodigal son, that you know the other brother was so upset because... You know, he'd always been faithful, and the younger brother just threw away everything, and yet he was received so well. Mm-hmm. And even with um, the wages, you know, like that one parable where they all got the same amount, even though some of them worked all day and some of them only an hour. Yeah, got the same. Because it is really hard. Yeah. We uh, feel like things are unfair because we can't see the bigger picture. Right. Yeah, it doesn't seem right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly it's it's true, and there there are a lot of examples in scripture, and to see the Gentiles here uh, come, yeah. So definitely, so you have that two at two two sided aspect of mercy and justice at work, and you know. Moses gets the point in the desert when Israel rebels in Numbers 14, 17 to 19. 
And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Yeah. But, and that divine visitation is, is so, so wonderful. Like, um, you know, when we, when we get to the book of James, I'll talk about this a little more. But at the end of James chapter 1, there is this mention, it's the last verse, James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion before God, and Father, the, before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And then in... Uh, so to visit orphans and widows and then if you look at Luke chapter 1 it's uh let's see what the verse is It's verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And so, you know, this Greek word um, is, uh, it's episkepsomai. And so this is a divine visitation so you think about, and you've heard this, visiting the iniquity um, in, in the Old Testament. But the idea is that the Lord comes over and lands upon the people. So in Luke 1.68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. This is not just any old visit like I'm stopping over for a cup of coffee. This is an official visitation and um, and I was talking to one of our one of our German theology profs at the at the university about this and he said that the, there's a German word and I don't remember what the German word was he said it's not really used anymore or not very often but he said that the German word for this visitation could be good or bad it's like an official visitation. It's coming to call to do something. And this is how this is. Like God comes to visit and it could cut both ways, but it's meant to be a blessing. And, but the beautiful thing is, as James uses this, then the church does this visitation upon those in need and brings blessing to people. And so, you know, all that sort of weaving around in God is using Jonah as, as he visits the people of Nineveh. So, let's see here. 
back to Jonah. So what is happening with Jonah? Instead of rejoicing at the vindication of the afflicted, Jonah considers himself afflicted. Uh, He's taking pity on himself. And thereby he has invoked God's wrath. And so this gets back to what Donna was saying. It's hard. It's hard not to want to invoke wrath sometimes. It's, It's hard to not have pity on ourselves and go, this is not fair to me. In our vocation, the Lord is always meaning to use us and to bring good out of difficulty. Uh, God wants to overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. So, you know, when we think about Israel, Israel's blessing was never meant to be only for Israel. I mean, even in the Old Testament, think about examples. Think about Naaman the Syrian, who, you know, he's a Syrian, and he goes to the prophet Elisha, and he is the recipient, right? And you have the Ethiopians, and, you know, you have all these nations that are looking in at what's going on in Israel. So, it is the Lord's plan to bring blessing to all of creation. Elijah, his situation paralleled Jonah's a bit. He goes a day's walk into the desert and then he sits down under a juniper tree and then he's ready to give up in 1 Kings 19 verse 4. Yes. I just Pressed when you know struggle is struggle, you can't do what you like to do mm-hmm. because your feelings get in the way. Yes. Your feelings get in the way, so you get, you get depressed because you've tried and tried, and instead of going to the Lord and asking Him to give you the strength, the power to do what He wants you to do, we, we focus on our feelings. Yeah. I just don't like this. I don't want to do this. I can't see where Jonah's coming from. Yeah. So what does it what does it take? What does it take for us to go from because we all are there. That's all that's everybody, right? How do we go from feeling like we've been wronged, the relationship that we have doesn't seem to be working well, the person that we interact with seems to use us or abuse us or belittle us or whatever the case may be and yet we're stuck in that relationship and and the Lord has put us in that in that relationship or in that situation he he was he was on the run Jezebel yeah, Jezebel wanted him, wanted his, his head on a, yeah. And, and he, th- he thought he was the only one faithful, the only one left. Uh, 
You know, which is, this is so true, right? Like in our crosses, don't we often feel alone? Nobody can help me. I'm stuck in this situation. I didn't put myself there. Or maybe I did, and now I'm stuck in it, right? Whatever the case may be. And nobody understands. This is often, this is often how we feel, right? Nobody understands my situation. And uh, now what am I going to do? And yet, what do we find? But if we talk to people and we um, count on someone lending their ear to us, we realize sometimes we're not alone. Because that's when people say, oh yeah, I've, I've, I've got this situation. And I've been dealing with this. And so... Um, but, but it is really hard. So how do we, how do we deal with this? How do we overcome it? Any ideas? I mean, you know, I have little things that I do. I mean, there's prayer and Mm -hmm. kind of stuff, but then I would say like for little goofy earthly things, like I look at someone and a friend of mine said to me years ago, you better be careful because he or she might be God's favorite. <laughs> I try to see God in that person or, uh, you know, there's a, that other thing, every person that you encounter has a story inside them that would break your heart. You know, so trying to, and, and, you know, I do it all the time, but it's just one little in my toolkit, I guess, in addition to talking to my sisters in Christ, you know, who can help help refocus me, you know, prayer and those kind of things. And when we were talking about justice and anger and all of that, uh, forgiveness can be disarming to the person who, who we think, you know, this person hurt me, but instead of retaliating, try to forgive, which can kind of cause them maybe to look at themselves, maybe not, but it's not my job to change that behavior. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. That's, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, what, what we, there are a couple of things that, those are all really good um, suggestions. I think, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, what she's saying kind of leads us back to that theology of the cross because that forgiveness and that joy and that love, we wouldn't know how to do in ourselves if it weren't for the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So it goes back to that foundation of the theology of the cross and that nothing that we do will ever suffice for. Yeah, that the theology of the cross, I, it does like cut, always like, come back up, the theology of the cross, because, you know, when I think about the way a lot of people process, I talk, thinking about the, the grander scope of the world, right? There is a notion of power, and power is defined in a certain way by the world, and power must be affected Right? The world's definition of power is I must assert my power. I must take power, right? Control. 
And the Greek word for uh, this is dynamis. And, you know, we get the word dynamite for this. But in the, in the book of Acts, for example, this is used for God's work, the work of the Holy Spirit. And so when we think about when we think about the issues of, of the world, people only process on a horizontal basis, right? Person to person. And if God is not, it does not factor in the discussion, then people feel like they must affect their own change, assert their own power. And Often, and this, this happens to Christians too, right? When we fall into sin, we fall into the world's way where we define and affect our own power. I think part of discerning who we are as Christians is to recognize, and there was a great quote by Pope Benedict XVI in the, in the service folder last Sunday about freedom. And... So, you know, it's important for us to remember that we are free in Christ. I mean, that was a great little quote that he gave. And part of our own anxiety and angst is to feel as though we're bound, we're chained. It's, it, right, like a caged animal. What, what will a caged animal do but react? if we recognize that we are truly free in Christ and our freedom in Christ is that we are sojourners in this world and you are precious in Christ, then that can help shape how we look at it. Worldly power often springs out of fear, fear that I'm gonna be trapped if I don't fix this situation. And so often in our relationships, if we feel trapped, then we react the way the world does. But we're free in Christ. Uh, St. Paul uses a word for Christians that means to be called out. Called, we're called out of this world. And it's a beautiful word. and. It, we are, right? Like, I, for me, it's helpful to think about it in that way, that I am free in Christ. I am a sojourner on this earth. I have been called out of this world by Christ. And therefore, everywhere I go and all that the Lord has me do, he will bless it. He will take care of me. And... So then in those relationships, those difficult relationships, it, I think it's helpful to recognize that power the way the world defines power is different than the way Jesus defines power. So this gets back to what you were saying. Power by way of God's definition is through the cross. Yes. Power of the world is 
sometimes believing his his lies. The power of the world is to live with lies? Yes. That's exactly right. And so, you know, crafting one's own narrative, right? Uh, And so, you know, truth, truth is important. And truth is, is freeing too, right? Because it just says what it says. Yeah. Yes. Forgiveness is freeing as well. It's hard. But if you can get there, it frees you up to do what you need to be doing instead of putting all your energy into being angry. Well, that's exactly right because this often happens, doesn't it? That you may be going about life and life seems great, and then somebody sins against you. Now, what did you do? You just took it on, right? And now you're stewing about it. And what does it do? So, so I look at it like this. Someone comes with darkness and then they lob it at you, smack you right upside the head with it, and now you're sitting in the darkness. Doesn't that often happen? And they're walking around. Yeah. And some people, like, you'll go, like if you go back to them and you're like, hey, you know what that thing that you said or did to me? And they're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Right? Children do do that a lot. Exactly. It never ends is your point, right? <laughs> so moms, <laughs> just hang on. It's going to be all right. Yeah. I don't remember where it is in the Old Testament. I just couldn't find it, but there's a point where somebody, I think it was a leader, was enemies were going to come against him, so they wrote it out. They wrote it out on mm. paper, and then they went before the Lord, and they laid the paper down, and like, here's the problem. Mm. Was that who it was? I, I couldn't remember. I'm trying to remember it. what that I'm is. I'm just thinking that if we would just write, write it out, yeah. write out what our roiling thoughts are whatever wrong or somebody did something and it just keeps coming back into your head just to realize those are just repeated like you said lies yeah yeah it is helpful like Right. It is important to, I think, to reflect and recognize when somebody with their darkness tries to cover your life in darkness and then to recognize what that is and to, you know, do, do what you suggested, write it out, cast it, put it up, cast it away confess, right? I mean, this is a part of confession too, right? To confess and say, I am so angry. Yes, I am so angry. I am so righteously angry. <laughs> Maybe I'm not right. 
Yeah, and it's making me miserable. So I need to confess this because I need to cast it away. Because that's what happens, right? When we confess our sins and receive absolution, we're casting away all this and we're receiving the wonderful blessing of, of our Lord. And I don't know if I have talked to you about this or not, but in Matthew 11, at the end, it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You know that text? It's at the end of Matthew 11. Uh, Matthew 11, 29 and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am uh, gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is, and it's usually translated easy. Is that how yours reads? Easy? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, that word in Greek is Christos. And I don't really know exactly why they translate it as easy because it actually means useful and it is connected to an older Greek word that means to bring credit or to bestow credit, to credit someone. And so the idea is we come with our, what we lack, what we need, we come in debt. And Jesus supplies what we need. So we come beleaguered, troubled, empty, weak, sorrowful, angry, frustrated, confused. And then Jesus is the one who comes and fills up the empty, right? So we cast away all the things that are destroying us and then Jesus fills us. Now what's really interesting about this is at the end of Ephesians 4, in Ephesians 4.32, St. Paul uses this word and he says, in, and this is how it is in English, be kind to one another, but what he actually says is be Christoi to one another. So he uses this word. So credit one another, be useful to one another, help fill what is lacking in the other. It's a very merciful posture. But what's beautiful about this, and this is what I see and, and tend to focus on more and more, is just how these concepts first find themselves in Christ, and then only as we rest in Christ do these things then define us, define our lives. So in this regard, so back to Jonah and what, what all is happening there, If what the Lord seeks of us, what he does with us as he places us in this world and in our vocations is that 
Jesus is the one who fills up all that we lack and need, but then he instructs us through his holy word, his truth. He illumines our lives. We see things as they really are, and then that aids us in how we care for others in the world and in relationships. Because we can see things as they really are. And that's really important. It's painful, but it's so important. Yes? Uh, I'm kind of changing the way you look at when you say a burden is useful. Um, it, you know, it's like, I always thought of it as easy because that's what's translated. And like, yep. it shouldn't be, it should be no sweat. You know, it's easy. But when you say useful, it means the burden is still upon you. And that it's, God is going to use you, like Ephesians 2.10. He's created workmanship for you to do. Mm -hmm. So be useful for him. Yes, exactly. That's a great way to look at it. The burden remains and it is, it's meant for a purpose. And it's meant for good. And, Joan, that's, and that's good. And that is exactly what's happening with Jonah. Uh, th that situation. The Ninevites are going to find blessing in all of this. And so, Jonah is so angry he wants to die. Um, he's upset that God is merciful. Jonah, in a sense, if we look at verse 5, he went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. He's in exile. Now think about it. East side of the city. Think about the Garden of Eden. East of Eden. The entrance into Eden is guarded by a cherub. So what happens is, in a sense, Adam and Eve enter, enter exile as they're led out of the Garden of Eden, they're led into exile. Jonah goes to the east gate and he is in exile. And this, this same verb for going out of the city is um, found in Exodus chapter 12, verse 41. Um, it's found in Exodus 13, 3 and 4, and then Psalm 114, verse 1. When Israel went out of, this is Psalm 114, verse 1. <clears throat> when Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. So going out. So Jonah, in a sense, is sitting in the seat of scoffers as he goes and sits. Psalm 1-1, he goes and sits out in the city, east of the city, like east of Eden. And so in a sense, Jonah is still in exile from God. And what he does is he, yeah, go ahead. Well, depending on how you look at it, Jonah's actually blaming God. You know, I 
because I knew you were going to do this. Yep. I knew you were going to save these horrible people, and I'm just simply mad. I'm <laughs> Yep. So now he's going to sit in anger and watch it, right? Yeah. So I think there is something very symbolic in him sitting out there and watching. You know, he's he's sitting there like, here it goes. It's not going to not what I want. I don't really want to watch it. And I really don't want to watch it. But at the same time, he makes a booth. This is very interesting. So in, uh, in Hebrew, it's a sukkah. He makes a sukkah. And this was used for the, feast, the festival of booths. Yeah. Or tabernacles. So, you know, if you think about the, the, big, the big Jewish feasts, there was the... Um, Passover and then Pentecost and then the Feast of Booths or Sukkoth which is one of the three annual so one of the three annual pilgrimages Passover Pentecost Sukkoth three pilgrimages and you can find this in Deuteronomy 16.16. 16. And this harkens back to the time when Israel dwelt in tents in the desert. Leviticus 23.43. And the booths were to be of wild branches adorned with fruitful living plants. For this is a harvest festival. So the, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles or Sukkoth was a feast of harvest. So Jonah is awaiting the harvest of the Lord's word in spite of what he would want. So you can see conflict because he goes and he sits out on the east of, of, of the city. He's so angry he could die, <clears throat> but he is using the imagery of the Israelites so he knows that there is going to be a harvest of God's word. He knows it. So see how that, you can just, this is, I think this is on one level good to remember as a Christian that it's, it's not like, you know, I love, you know, R.E.M., the band R.E.M. Does anybody listen to R.E.M.? Or anybody? Yeah, okay. So the song, Shiny Happy People. <laughs> We're not always shiny happy people. You know, we are caught in the complexities of God's work. And we are then caught within the framework of a chaotic world. And people's lives are all over the place. And we're trying to figure it out. We know God's word. We're, we know that it would be best if we were shiny, happy people all the time and life was great. But it's, it's good to recognize in Jonah that 
in the midst of all of these dynamics and complexities, we're sometimes caught in between, but we, we should, it would be great to find joy in God's word and his work in all these other places, even among people that, you know, maybe would they don't deserve it, because we don't deserve it, right? Well, you know, God gave Jonah the plant to shade him, mm-hmm. and, he, and then he said to him, well, you know, I get, um, you had pity on the plant that I gave you, and why, why should I have pity on, on the Ninevites? Right. And I, I'm not sure why it ends the way it is, but I think it's probably because he's telling them, these 120,000 people don't know me. Right. Shouldn't I have pity on them? <laughs> right, right. And God gives us all these gifts and we're still complaining. Well, and I, and I think this is where confession and absolution comes in. Like, if we are in, if we are, oh my goodness, and if the time is up, I see. If we are, if we are caught like Jonah where we're frustrated and we're not liking what we see, we should probably go to confession and confess our sins, you know? And, and recognize this is where like confession and absolution is to think about who we are in relation to God's mercy and to remember that we need it just as much as everybody else. And that living a life of confession and absolution will actually help us to find joy and thankfulness in God's work around us. And it will help us to deal with some of the unfairnesses we see in, you know, around us or in our lives. So it, it's time to break. So we'll stop there and we'll pick up uh, after, after Holy Week. So that first Friday after Easter. But let's go ahead and close with uh, a collect. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, your mercies are new every morning. And though we deserve only punishment, you receive us as your children and provide for all our needs of body and soul. Grant that we may heartily acknowledge your merciful goodness, give thanks for all your benefits, and serve you in willing obedience. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen.